This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. Now in today's episode, we're focusing on uh, letter number nine, on philosophy and friendship, right? And I think that this is a beautiful letter for so many reasons, but one of the the reasons why I, I particularly like this one is because Seneca helps to clarify a few of the common mistakes that we see people make about the idea of the sage, especially when it relates to Stoicism. And so I'd first like to give you a bit of an idea of of how the Stoic idea of the sage may have developed, right? Because the Stoics really admired the cynics, right? It's a philosophy that was born out of cynicism, uh, the the school of cynicism, not the necessarily the feeling of cynicism, right? Um, but uh, you know, Zeno of Citium he learned from Crates of Thebes, right? This cynic philosopher and. And the Stoic sage is somewhat similar. There's a few elements that are similar to that sage of the Cynic school of philosophy. And I guess that the best way I could describe it is to say that the sage is somebody who finds all of the necessary value that he needs from life within himself, right? It's this classic idea of, you know, no matter where I go, I'm taking everything that I need with me because it's all internal, right? And so the sage is somebody who can face the trials, the, you know, the hardships, the, the, the terrible tragedies of life with a certain sense of equanimity, you know, harmony, uh, this feeling that these troubles that are coming along are just water off a duck's back, right? And so, one of the mistakes that people make is that they 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 misinterpret the Stoic sage for actually being the cynic sage, right? Now, the cynics, uh, they were these people who would literally divorce themselves from all niceties of culture uh, and, and society, right? They would wear raggy clothes, they would eat very uh, simple foods, you know, Know, they would literally seek opportunities to go without constantly and, and to, to be divorced from society in that way. Uh, and, and, you know, it's almost like the minimalist approach, you might say. Uh, whereas the Stoic sage is, is not quite like that. And even though the Stoics very much admired the cynics, right, and their ability to divorce themselves from society and to still find, uh, I guess, joy and equanimity in their life, right, that's not their idea of the, the true sage, right? And so Seneca actually goes on to uh, to clarify a few of those, those things in this letter, which is really important because we can often get into this strange masochistic view of ourselves, right? Where we think, okay, if I really want to be virtuous, then I need to go without, you know, I, I need to have way less, you know, I need to uh, divorce myself from culture, you know, I can go without friends, I can go without relationships, you know, and you can kind of tyrannize yourself in a strange way that's not necessary, especially if you're trying to uh, live in such a way that would get you uh, remotely closer to being somewhat of a of a sage in, in the Stoic view, right? Uh, and, and so, I'm going to read you a few of the things that Seneca says here and, and clarify a few of these, uh, these ideas. And hopefully, by the end of this episode, you'll have a clearer idea of what the Stoic sage might look like and, and what that would mean for you in your life as well. 
And before I do read these passages, uh, where I'm starting to read from, Seneca is kind of describing the difference between the Epicurean sage and the Stoic sage. Uh, So Epicureanism uh, being the other kind of similar school to Stoicism. So he says the following, quote, There is a difference between ourselves and the other school, being Epicureanism. Our ideal wise man feels his troubles but overcomes them. Their wise man does not even feel them. But we and they alike hold this idea, that the wise man is self-sufficient. Nevertheless, he desires friends, neighbours, and associates, no matter how much he is sufficient unto himself. And mark how self-sufficient he is, for on occasion he can be content with a part of himself. If he loses a hand through disease or war, or if some accident puts out one or both of his eyes, he will be satisfied with what is left taking as much pleasure in his impaired and maimed body as he took when it was sound. But while he does not pine for these parts if they are missing, he prefers not to lose them. In this sense, the wise man is self-sufficient, that he can do without friends, not that he desires to do without them. When I say can, I mean this, he endures the loss of a friend with equanimity. End quote. So I hope you can see what Seneca is kind of getting at here, right? Which is that it's not as if the sage doesn't want friends. It's not as if the sage doesn't want to be a part of society and contributing and, and, and doesn't, you know, want to have a healthy functioning body and a functioning mind, right? It's just that the sage is able to endure the loss of a friend or, or, or the loss of a body part or, you know, the degradation of a healthy body or mind, right? The, the sage is able to endure those things in his or her life with a certain sense of equanimity, right? And a sense that uh, all is not lost as long as uh, the connection to the soul is still there, right? That connection to the one part of us that we take with us no matter where we go. And we can put a few parts together here, right? Because you may remember in a previous episode, I discussed Seneca's thoughts on, on this idea that the soul is of supreme value. The soul is the one thing that requires our attention, our care, our nourishment, right? And that is very important to this idea that as long as you have that, that, that nourishment of your soul, you have that connection to your soul, right? The one part of us, like I said, that we take with us no matter where we go or, or you know, no matter how much or how little we have in the external world, right? As long as that is still there, the Stoic sage is able to, to live a, a, a life of harmony, a life of flourishing, right? And to find the value wherever he goes and, and to, to find the goodness in everything that he does, right? And so that's a, that's a really powerful idea and one that you have to sit and wrestle with for, for quite some time, at least for the rest of your life, right? This idea of, you know, what kind of mindset would you have to have? What kind of view of the world, view of your life and yourself would you have to have to be able to recognize that even if you lose an arm, you still have everything that you need? You know, even if you're thrown into jail, you still have everything that you need. You know, even if you lose all of your friends, all of your family, you know, which will happen to all of us at one stage, right? Uh, Because we're all dying, you know, nature wins 100% of the time. Tragedy is coming, even if you haven't seen it in your life so far. There will be tragic moments in your life. What, What kind of mindset would you have to have to not seek out that tragedy, 
to not welcome that tragedy, but to but to deal with it with a sense of equanimity, right, and and a sense of calm or honor, you know. And so I think that this is a really interesting idea that Seneca is talking about, and he he clarifies it even further. I think that he he takes it to a really interesting direction in the next few lines. He says, quote, But he need never lack friends. For it lies in his own control how soon he shall make good of a loss. Now, he's obviously talking about once a sage has lost a friend. Just as Phidias, if he lose a statue, can straightway carve another, even so our master in the art of making friendships can fill the place of a friend he has lost. If you ask how one can make oneself a friend quickly, I will tell you, provided we are agreed that I may pay my debt at once and square the account, so far as this letter is concerned. Hikato says, I can show you a filter compounded with drugs, herbs, or any witch's incantation. If you would be loved, love. Now there is great pleasure not only in maintaining old and established friendships, but also in beginning and acquiring new ones. There is the same difference between winning a new friend and having already won him as there is between the farmer who sows and the farmer who reaps. The philosopher Attalus used to say, It is more pleasant to make than to keep a friend, as it is more pleasant to the artist to paint than to have finished painting. When one is busy and absorbed in one's work, the very absorption affords great delight. But when one has withdrawn one's hand from the completed masterpiece, the pleasure is not so keen. Henceforth, it is the fruits of his art that he enjoys. It was the art itself that he enjoyed while he was painting. End quote. All right, so I'm going to pick apart a few of the pieces uh, that really helped me to create the image of the sage within, you know, this last passage that I just read, because there's so much goodness in there, and we can really get a clear image of, of what the sage would be like and what that means for us in our own lives. You know, one of the first things that Seneca says in that passage is, it lies in the control of, you know, the sage who he's talking about, uh, how soon he shall make good of a loss. You know, we think of the idea of amor fati, right? Love your fate. It's this idea of, you know, how quickly will you start to look for the seeds of goodness, right, within your life when something bad happens to you? You know, within every trial, there lies seeds of equivalent opportunities, right, that can help you to uh, to move forward with purpose in your life or to create goodness out of the hardships of your life. The sage is somebody who looks for those seeds, right, who looks for the opportunities uh, to create good. And a lot of that, I would say, comes from this idea that the soul is supreme in your life. That is the supreme source of the goodness that you find in your life. It is the source of your perceptions. It is the source of your impressions, right? It's the source of your actions. It's the source of everything that you see. It's consciousness, right? And so if you start there and if you nourish your soul then, you know, if you, if you value that as the supreme good, then if you lose an arm, you know, that's not going to get in the way of you experiencing a flourishing life because, you know, that's not the thing that makes the most difference. And as Seneca says here, right, if you lose a friend, you will immediately start to look for the opportunities to engage in friendship and to give your friendship to other people, to, to build that friendship again, you know, and to find the joy that you found in that previous friendship. And it's important to note that that does not mean that you would not uh, potentially 
mourn the death of your friend. It does not mean that you would not uh, have fond memories of that friendship. It just means that you will immediately start to plant those seeds that will bring about the good once again. And then he gives that wonderful quote from Hikato, right? Uh, I can show you a filter, you know, or or, or a love potion is what that is, you know, compounded with without drugs, herbs, or any witch's incantation. And I believe I misquoted that before. I believe I said uh, with drugs, but it's without drugs, herbs, or any witch's incantation, right? And and the quote that he gives or the love potion that he gives uh, is, if you would be loved, love. And so, there's kind of an idea nested there, right? Which is that the sage is somebody who recognizes that if he is going to receive value in his life, then he must pour value out on the world in front of him, right? If he wants to be loved, he will love and he will gain in return as a result of the joys and the gifts that he gives from within himself, and so you can again see this idea that you know the soul is the the wellspring the source of all goodness and as you give from your soul so you shall return uh, or have have value returned unto you right and Seneca then goes on to describe the the value that we can find not only in keeping a, an established friendship, right, but also in beginning and acquiring a new one in the same way that there is value for the farmer who sows, just in the same way that there is value for the farmer who reaps. And he also talks about this idea uh, that, you know, we're almost living our lives as if we are artists, right? And and we are painting this beautiful uh, image before us uh, and that the value lies not in the necessarily the finished product, but in the process of painting, the process of being an artist, you know. Uh, as somebody who engages in artistic practices and creating music or or even when I draw or when I write, you know, I can recognize that, that, that there is such a feeling of aliveness, right, of, of joy um, and pure joy that comes from being in that flow state of of creating and, 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 and making something beautiful. And, and that's what he's saying here, right? You know, whether you're planting seeds or whether you're harvesting, uh, you know, whether you're looking at um, some sort of beautiful friendship before you or whether you're in the act of, of, of creating a friendship, there's value to be found everywhere, right? And all it requires is for you to step back and change your perspective, to step back and see your life from a different angle and where you could uh, give love or give joy or give goodness uh, and virtue in order to receive it in return. You know, this is such a, a powerful idea that I just, I, I really love this, this idea that we are the artists of our lives and, and that, that we are supposed to look for these opportunities no matter where we are, no matter how much we have or don't have, no matter what we have gained or lost, right? Our only job is to kind of be this shapeshifter, right, who is able to see from a different angle, to view where the good might come about from, you know, where the good might spring forth from, uh, and see where we could plant some seeds of goodness in order that we may receive that in return in our life. And I have one more thought, and then I guess we'll, we'll pause the episode there, and I'll do a second part to this to this episode, uh, where we'll dive deeper into uh, some further thoughts that Seneca has on, on the sage, because he has some more beautiful ideas uh, in this letter. But one thing that I really wanted to discuss with you was was this idea, again, of, of, of you know, giving that you may receive, right? Uh, pouring out the goodness that lies within your own soul. 
and in return receiving that goodness back. Uh, Because there is an idea that we've all heard of in Stoic philosophy and in philosophy in general, which is that the reward of virtue... Uh, is found within the act of virtue itself, right? So, uh, that's the true reward, right? And you don't act virtuously in order that you will receive, but you simply act virtuously because it's the right thing to do. And if you receive, which you likely will, uh, then that is a natural, beautiful byproduct. And, and, And this can make us think, right? If it is the case that when I give, I receive, and if it is the case that when I am virtuous you know, that, that virtue is shined back upon me. If it is the case that when I love, I experience love in return, is it the return, is it the receiving of that love or that goodness or that virtue that is the true good, that is where the true joy lies? Or is it in the giving of the goodness, the giving of the love, the giving of the virtue that the goodness resides? Well, You know, the Stoic answer was that it's definitely the stuff that comes from within. You know, it's it's that goodness that you bring out from your soul and that you put out on the world. That is the goodness. That is true good. That is true virtue. The stuff that you receive, you know, that's just going to be a natural byproduct. You know, and so and so this this is such a beautiful idea, one to really sit with in your own life. You know, how could you give more goodness to the people around you, to the world around you? How could you be a person who adds value to those around you and, and to and to those who encounter you in your own life? And you know, as you become a person who gives value who is constantly uh, giving love, giving kindness, giving, uh, giving, you know, the goodness from within your soul. Uh, man, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that you will in return receive uh, a, a bountiful share of goodness in, 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 in your own life. But as we will see in part two of this episode, the next episode, uh, you know, Seneca talks about this idea that we, we don't do it for the good that we will receive, We do it for the good that we can give. We do it for the influence that we can have on the world around us. And so what have we learned in today's episode? You know, the sage is not this person who, you know, wants to go without friends or, you know, wants to go without an arm or a leg, you know, wants to go without these things. But the sage is the artist of his or her life, right? The sage is the person who looks for opportunities to transform the trials of life, to transform the tragedies or the losses in life into equivalent goods, into equivalent virtue, into equivalent joy, uh, by finding the seeds of, of the goodness and the joy uh, and planting those seeds and, 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 and nourishing that and, and being the artist, you know, constantly looking for what's the next good thing that I can bring about in the world? What's the next good that I can give, that I can paint onto the canvas of my life? Uh, it's a beautiful image. And, and, and I think that the most important thing that I want you to take away from this episode is that, you know, we can often mistake this stoic sage as somebody who gladly goes without friends or relationships, can withstand the trials of life and, you know, still be happy and, you know, this stiff upper lip kind of person. But um, no, the, the sage wants friends. The sage, you know, <laughs> wants good relationships, wants to have a healthy body, wants to have all the things that we might see as nice things to have in our life, right? But the difference is 
that the Stoic sage, if he loses a friend or loses something in his life, he looks for opportunities to turn that hardship, to turn that trial or that stumbling block into an equivalent stepping stone uh, towards a greater good or an equivalent good or an equivalent benefit. He looks to add value, and in return, he receives that value reflected back on his soul, right? So, you know, once you see it, you know, this, this idea is very interesting and, and, and very, very real, right? Uh, but it's it's complex, and I hope I'm doing it justice. So, if I'm not, please, you know, if you know something that I don't, please tell me, you know, whether it's in the comments or reach out to me. Um, I'd love to know, but uh, it seems like a lot of these ideas are just so valuable and, and have in many ways been lost within our society. So, um, I hope that you've taken something away of value from this episode, and, uh, and I'll talk to you in the next episode, which will be the part two. So, much more to talk about. Talk soon.